0: you notice, there's a shift that takes place in Deuteronomy 12 around verses 29. Verse 28 is the reiteration of being careful to listen to all the words which God has commanded them so that it may be well in the land, that they're doing what is good and right in the sight of Yahweh or Elohim. But in verse 29, there begins a shift. It says, when the Lord your God cuts off, before you the nations, which you're going to dispossess, and you dispossess them and dwell in their land. So notice, the idea is the completed conquest of the land. And remember, Israel is being used as God's judgment tool on the Canaanites because of all the heinous sin that they've had in the land. Now that tells me two things. Number one, it tells me that they are fully accountable for what they did. God had revealed his righteous standard, or himself, to those people in some way in order to hold them accountable. God does not just destroy people just because he feels like it. That never happens. That would totally infringe upon the idea of his justice and his righteousness for him to just walk in and if he felt like doing that. Number two, it tells me that he is able to use nobody to do all kinds of things. Israel is not warriors. What were they? Do you remember? For 400 years, what have they been doing? Please. They've been slaves, but what have they been doing in particular?
1: Building,
0: building, bricks. That's it. They're a construction crew. They weren't going to just come in and build walls around these people and hope to starve them out over time. That's not the idea. They were actually to take up arms and to follow Yahweh's leading, and he would fight for them. Remember, he, he reveals himself as the warrior god at that time, but he would fight for them in this capacity, and he would win the victory should they obey him. So that's the whole idea that's going on. Notice he says, "He says after you dis, uh, dispose them from the land, verse thirty, beware that you're not ensnared to follow them." Now remember, when we talked about wiping people out from the land, it's the word harum. Okay, you can say it harum with the with the sound. Okay, so sound like that you have a sore throat and you're sick and need to get all that out. That's how you speak in Hebrew. (laughs) But it's the idea of harem. And what it means is utter annihilation. Wiping something off the face of the planet. Never to be remembered again. Now you say, man, that's really serious. That's so crazy and harsh. And these are people. And didn't they have children and all this stuff? Yes. And they had led their existence in a godless manner. That's why they were held accountable for this. Okay, So notice the problem that comes up there. After they are destroyed before you, that you do not inquire after their gods. Remember, little g-gods. Little g-gods are what? Demons. 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 Fallen angels. In fact, uh, if you, the paper that you've got that I just handed out to you, look on the back real quick. Notice the two points there from Deuteronomy 5, of verses 6 and 7. I am the Lord your God who brought you, I'm sorry, seven and eight. Uh, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, declares who he is. Verse seven. Commandment number one you shall have no other little g gods before me. See that? That's demons. That's commandment one. Commandment number two, verse eight. You shall not make for yourself an idol in any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. Anything created is seen or anything that has revealed itself that is normally unseen. That's commandment number two. Someone could easily look at verses seven and eight and say these are the same commandments. They are not. The first one warns against demon worship small g gods the second commandment about idols is the manifestation of these demons in some way that is a replicated figure which people want to make or gravitate towards because everyone needs an object to worship and we're going to talk about again, rehash again from Deuteronomy, how dangerous that is so the idea here, notice it says saying, middle of verse 30, how do these how do these nations serve their gods that I also may do likewise in other words, you wipe them out from the land and then you go to their surrounding neighbors and you ask what do you know about their pagan customs that's how far out depravity of the human heart can get after you've wiped people off the face of the earth and all their objects of worship you've torn down their ashtaroth you've torn down their idols you've torn down everything that mimics their pagan practices and then you go next door and say hey can you tell me what they used to do that seems weird But notice that God is warning them for a reason. Verse 31. You shall not behave thus towards Yahweh your Elohim. That is mimicking the command that was given in verse 4 earlier in this chapter. You shall not behave towards the Lord your God. For every abominable act which the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. For they even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. Now, Israel eventually got to the point where they were sacrificing their kids and they sacrificed them by burning them on an altar to a God named Molech. You ever want something really interesting to look at, go on YouTube and look at some things on Molech. Very scary. Molech was considered to be a God that looks like an owl is what he is. And he had arms that would be outstretched here and they would heat up those arms until they were red hot on fire and then they would beat drums loudly so they couldn't hear the screams of their children as they put them on those burning hot arms and and destroyed them now here's the thing number one it's completely demonic it's completely demonic and let's not play like that satan is just the guy with the horns wearing the red underwear and pointy tail the deviled ham guy that's not who satan is okay satan literally does not care about any of us he doesn't care about who he hurts who he destroys any of this stuff. He desires to kill, steal, destroy everything. That is his heart's goal. That's what pushes him forward, okay? So Israel actually gets to this point by serving these false gods. Um, I I will be honest with you, uh, and some people made these connections and it sounds kind of crazy, but, and maybe it's not done in a direct fashion, but this relentless push for abortion and to maintain it to be legal... And to consider that the children aren't really alive in the womb. And how they want to clarify that and classify that. And we've divided it up into how many weeks in first trimester and third trimester. And when can you do this abortion and all this stuff? All of that, if you know anything about it, is evil. All of it is. It is a modern day sacrifice to Molech without maybe even knowing it. Yes? I'm reading
1: an interesting book called Love Thy Body, but it's talking
0: about... By Nancy Piercy. Yes. She's a beautiful author. I've had a couple of conversations with her. She's great.
1: Anyway, the whole split between being human and being a person, and that that's two different things. Mm-hmm. So being human, they can go into the womb and, and uh, break the neck, bring them out, because they're human, but they're not a person. Right. But then if you keep going with that uh, paradigm, if you're older, mm-hmm. what makes you a, a, just a human versus a person? Well... You know, you can't walk, you
0: can't talk, so we're just going to euthanize you. So it's it's a very dangerous worldview. Yeah, it is. It's very dangerous. And it's all political. Mm-hmm. That's the problem we have, is it's all been tied up in politics, and politics has very little to do with morals and ethics. Yeah. So since you don't have that standard to draw from, you can't make certain claims as you do. It's always statistics and how I feel, and it's experience trumps truth every time. It's terrible. Um, in fact I would say this um, and I say this knowing very well that God will use it as something on me because he has a great sense of humor like that but um, if the astronomical costs of adoption weren't what they are I don't see that there's any reason why people in the church regardless of what age they are shouldn't be adopting these children to show people that they're loved you know I mean it really comes down to a point of saying we're just going to let them sit in the system what has the system ever done for people nothing it's never done anything. That we say that with that cry in the background going, oh, that might be good for you, brother, not for me. You know? <laughs> you can hear that very well. But here's the great thing about that. I can tell that's not my child, so I can say yeah. it. A and there's God's sense of humor for you. There's God's sense of humor right there. He's like, you know, he's like, man, you don't want to turn on this. So, um, so here's what we're going to do. Look at verse 32. Whatever I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add... To, nor take away from it. Does everybody, does this remind you of the end of Revelation? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, notice that. And some people say, well, that's just restricted to the book of Revelation. No, it's restricted to the entire scope of Scripture, okay? Not to add or take away. What's interesting about Eve this is that. if you were, what's that? Eve did
1: that, and he said not to touch the fruit either.
0: Yeah, Eve did that, and that got her into a world of hurt. Yeah. Because yeah. now she started doubting what God had really said to her. Yeah, and that's, that's Satan, one of Satan's most deceitful things to do. It's confusing language. That's one of his greatest temptations. If you've ever sat down with somebody who's a Jehovah's Witness, Seventh-day Adventist, Mormon, one of the first things that you realize is that when you talk about Jesus and they talk about Jesus, you're not talking about the same accepted idea of what Jesus is. When you're talking with a Muslim about Esau, okay, who they believe Esau, their name for Jesus, who they believe Jesus is and who you believe Jesus is are not the same person. And so the very first thing you have to do when you're having any conversation with somebody is define terms. You always have to. Why? Because Satan has got in there and he's messed up terms. And that's just across the board for anything. What's interesting is, is in the Hebrew collection of the scriptures, verse 32 of chapter 12 is actually chapter 13, verse 1. That's important to know. Why we've changed it, I don't know. But I I want to believe that the Hebrew scholars had a better way of dividing the scriptures than we did so that we understand. It's summary thought coming in. And here's the first thing that you notice. If you think of verse 32 as verse 31, what is the preeminent subject in that verse? What is it? What is the dominant thing that's not to be tampered with?
1: God's God's word.
0: God's word. This is extremely important for us to get. Now notice on your note sheet that I handed out for Deuteronomy 13... This chapter is all about how does the community of Israel handle temptations towards apostasy? How do you deal with people that would want you to serve other gods? Okay? And notice the very first thing in the Hebrew view of Scripture that he starts with is, number one, uphold the command, don't add to it, don't take away. It doesn't need reinterpretation, addition, or subtraction. It needs obedience. Okay? Okay? Now, the reason why this chapter starts with this is because he's going to list out three separate situations for you that are going to be extremely hard for these people to uphold, but it's right, God is commanding it because it's according to a standard of truth. Let me give you these divisions for each situation. Situation is uh, verses 1 through 5 of chapter 13. Now, remember, verse 32 of 12 is technically the heading over this point, okay? So, verses 1... Through 5 of chapter 13, that's situation number 1. <clears throat> situation number 2 is verses 6 through 11. Situation number 2, if you just want to jot it on your notes, V period 6 11. Situation number 3 is verses 12 through 16. Verses 12 through 16. Okay? So let me go over them with you one more time. Situation number 1 is verses 1 through 5. Situation number 2 is verses 6 through 11. And situation number 3 is verses 12 through 16. (coughs) And then 17 and 18 will be summary statements for this chapter. Let's start. Chapter 13, verse 1. Here's situation number 1. And situation number 1 is probably all we're going to be able to get to with the 13 minutes that I have left. <laughs> Forgive me. There's a lot going on today, so I apologize. But, um, but that's okay because there's, we're going to have to pick up here next week because there's so much that goes on in this first example that helps trickle down and us understand the rest of what's going on. What's that? Not, not
1: next
0: week. week. Oh, not next week. Sorry, in two weeks.
1: Next
0: week? Uh, next week is the open forum meeting. Yeah. which I'm excited. We have a lot of good information to share with people. So chapter 13, verse one, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder and the sign or the wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you saying, stop, don't read anymore because we have a lot to break down here. Number one, what is a prophet? teacher. Okay, possibly, but not really. Close.
1: Tells what God is going to do.
0: Tells what God is going to do. In fact, and this is important to understand when we see, when we're going, to, we're going to start this in January, when we go through the whole idea of spiritual gifts. A prophet in the Old Testament isn't much different from the person who has the gift of prophecy in the New Testament, okay? A prophet, generally speaking, is someone who who speaks for God in a situation. So someone in the in the in the church dispensation, the New Testament, who has the gift of prophecy is someone who is forthtelling what God has said. There's two ways to look at the gift of prophecy. Old Testament-wise and some New Testament, we often think of prophecy as revealing something that will come true at a further date. Yes, is that what we normally think of? We talk about studying Bible prophecy. Technically, that's not a right term because when we talk about Bible prophecy, if we use the idea of the word prophet, we're talking about Anything that's been said in scripture, that's really what it is. Now when we say the words end times prophecy, now we're being a little bit more uh, honed in on what our actual language should be when we're talking about the idea of future things or eschatology is what we would call it, what the end times are going to bring about. So when we talk about the idea of prophecy, generally speaking, we're talking about Forthtelling something that God has said. So there's forthtelling what God has said, and in a predictive manner, there is foretelling what God has said. F O R E dash T E L L I N G. Foretelling, which would be predicting something that hasn't been previously revealed in Scripture. We think of Daniel, we think of prophecies in Isaiah, we think of prophecies in Ezekiel, we think of Matthew 24, those types of things. Does that make sense to everybody? So a prophet is somebody who's going to stand up in front of everybody and say, hey, I've got something to say that God gave me to tell you. Now, you're automatically stepping on massive ground. Does everybody see that? That's important to think about. But notice, not only a prophet, but what else does it say? A what? Dreamer of dreams. A dreamer of dreams. Now here's what's scary about this. As we probably automatically think of dream catchers from Native American culture, what the original Hebrew word means for this and the first most common meaning of this word is somebody who suffers from nocturnal emissions is what it means. Now, that's a little crazy to think about, Whoa! but what it's talking about is someone who wants to say that God spoke to them in a dream, and what I'm saying is, is it's essentially a generic term that has a wide range of meanings, but because of in this context, it's dealing specifically with the idea of God has something he wants to tell you, listen up. So it will either come from, I have a word from the Lord, there's a prophet, or God revealed himself in a dream to me in this way, and I'm going to tell you what it is. Now let me ask you a question. Why would these situations even be considered valid engagements of how God would speak in this time? Why would this even be a, a why would, you know, hey, I've got a word from the Lord. Why would any, Why if somebody walked in here and said, hey, I've got a word from the Lord. Don't you think we'd all go?
1: Yeah, right.
0: (laughs) Right? (laughs) What we would want to do, we would immediately think that's weird. And what we would want to do is whatever they're going to say, we would say, can you tell me the book, chapter, and verse where that's located at? Right? Because we believe in a closed canon of scripture. Starts with Genesis, ends with Revelation. God has nothing else to show to us. And that's why it gets real risky when everybody's like, well, God told me this.
1: United you know, Church of Christ, we believe God is still speaking.
0: We believe that God is still speaking. What are they telling you? That the canon's not closed. <laughs> see, see, and that's what's caused people to all of a sudden blur the lines on things like sexuality, ethics, morality. A lot of things have come from all that. So, why would this be valid? Somebody stands up and goes, Hey, I've got a word from the Lord. Why should Moses and everybody be like, Okay, shh, 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 shh. let's listen. Because they didn't have the canon. Because they didn't, the canon. they didn't have the canon. What did they have at that point? The Septuagint?
1: No. Just the law? No. They just basically had uh, uh,
0: a voice people telling people and telling people and telling, people, and telling people, and people. That's what they had. At this time, remember, who wrote the first five books of the Old Testament? Moses, Moses did. <laughs> and he wrote it because God communicated to him exactly what is to write. The only thing they really have in writing right now at this moment... Are the tablets of the Ark of the Covenant, or sorry, of the, of the Law that are inside the Ark of the Covenant? That's all they have written down. Everything else has come from the Word of God, and so "Thus says the Lord," or, or King James "Saith the Lord," has be, it was a real punching word at that time. So, so we may read through this, and we, and we have a problem of bringing our 21st century mentality into it, and go, "How can people even listen to this guy? What in the world's wrong with them?" You know, you can't think of it that time because they didn't have anything written down to do that. They had Moses, they had people that had been appointed by him to uh, to oversee and hear cases that would come on with problems in the people. But other than that, there wasn't much else going on. Look at verse two. And the sign or wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you saying, now watch here the contents of this prophet or dreamer's words. Let us go after other gods whom you have not known and let us serve them. Now stop. They say something's going to happen. And it's a sign or a wonder. And the sign or wonder comes true. Is anybody denying the, the validity of the sign or wonder coming true? No, the experience may have happened just as the experience was predicted to happen. What is the problem here? Violates the law that they have in writing. What does? Them worshiping other gods. Worshiping other gods. Notice the problem is, is the prophet's words, not his signs. Everybody see that? Why do I disagree with the modern tongues movement? I disagree with the modern tongues movement, not that I'm denying that somebody's having an experience. They're obviously having some sort of experience. But what do I need to validate that experience from? the written word of God. And we live in an age now where people have exalted experience and they've downplayed God's truth. My experience does not dictate God's word. God's word dictates my experience and it tells me how to think about it. You see what I'm saying? And so you may have somebody say, well, this is going to happen. This is going to come true. And it does. It doesn't mean squat in God's history. God is saying, Call a timeout. Get over the euphoria of, whoa, did you see that? And listen. What are they telling you? You know what? Let's go serve other gods. You know, this person, you know, uh, uh, Amy had leprosy, but (laughs) leprosy is gone off of Amy now. Whoa, I can't believe how that actually happened. Now let's go serve other gods. The problem is they let the validity of the experience entice the heart to walk away from God. Everybody see how dangerous that is? Mm-hmm. And notice, this isn't just you're dealing with, you know, people who, who have overinflated the charismatic church. I love charismatic people. I, I, I came to a real serious relationship with Christ in a charismatic church, in a Calvary chapel. Do I feel that I have differences with them on some things? Yes, but they're still my brothers and sisters in Christ. But just because they're off on things doesn't mean that I need to change my mode of operation and saying God's word first, everything else out of that, separate. This was a problem they're dealing with in Moses' time. And notice what they're saying. You're going to get in a situation in a community. And here's the question. Where does the prophet or dreamer of dreams come from? Notice that. This isn't an outside the camp issue. Right? What's going to happen to everybody outside the camp that they're going to land? They're dying. You see what I'm saying? That's it. We're going to execute them. They've sinned enough and now judgment has come. Notice this is somebody from in your own camp who you fellowship with. The neighbor that pitches your tent next to it. That your kids play with their kids. You see what I'm saying? This is somebody in the camp who said, you know what? I've been given this ability. Here's a question. Where did this ability come from? Not
1: inside the camp.
0: Notice that. It wasn't from God, was it? Everybody see how much is packed in this first situation. The occurrence of the miracle or the sign of wonder is not from God because God giving it through a prophet, the words would match up with the truth. The problem is is that the words are leading in deception. If that's the case, where do the signs and wonders come from even though the signs and wonders came true as it predicted? From the enemy of God. Everybody see that? It's demonically motivated. How do you know that? Come, let us go serve other gods. Who are they? They're They're demons. Notice that. That's the infiltration proof of God's working, though, in that situation coming true. And then, why is their response, "Let's go serve other gods that have not proved themselves"? Well, what it seems to me would be is that the people, these prophets and these dreamers of dreams, are actually predicting and then performing these miracles for the purpose of grabbing a hold of people, almost like enticing them, schmoozing them in that way, and then leading them astray with their words that they have to say. But allegedly, his word was from their god, the one they believe in, and if it came true, you talking about like as far as like a false god or demon? No, did it come true? No. So allegedly, I'm a dreamer of dreams, and I say your god has told me this Mm -hmm. and that comes true. Mm -hmm. Allegedly, your god has just fulfilled what I have told you. Yeah. So why is their response? Let's go serve other gods. Because what I think the idea here is is that God is not giving them this. I think what we're seeing actually is that demons have power. Uh, we know that from, from uh, if we were to do uh, an account of, let's say that we got out our concordance and we just looked up Baal, B A A L, okay? And we looked around where all the worshippers of Baal's, what were some of the things that they were to do? We know that most often is they cut themselves and try to get, you know, attention of their God. But there were still a lot of other crazy, spooky, supernatural things that go on with dealing with that. Why is that? It's a supernatural realm. It's the demonic realm. And so what I think it is, is that they're actually coming because of this influence they're either carrying from Egypt that has come through their family line, even over the 40 years of wandering the wilderness, or it is some type of influence that has come on them from not fulfilling the command to destroy people in the land, which we find out later in Joshua, that's exactly what happens. They make a deal with somebody and it destroys the whole thing. Here's the other thing we find, and I haven't gotten to this yet because that question's an excellent question. But notice verse three. You shall not listen to the words, notice the emphasis on the words, of of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For Yahweh your Elohim is, what does it say? He's testing you. He's allowing for that to come true by a false means of a god in order to test the people. Test them as according to what? To find out if you love Yahweh your Elohim with all your heart and with all your soul. He's letting it happen to ask if you love him. You say, well, why does God have to prove that? He's not proving it to himself. He wants to prove it to you. Where's your heart really at with God? You see what I'm saying? When the rubber meets the road, what choice do you make? Is it a righteous one? Not a righteous one that we concocted of ourselves, but is it a righteous one saying, God's word says this? Isn't that how Jesus dealt with temptation? Jesus, you're so hungry. Make these rocks bread. It is written this. Well, uh, here, let me throw you off, you know, throw yourself off this uh, mountain here, and then we'll let you hit the bottom. No, it is written this. Well, here, just bow down and worship me. I'll give you all these kingdoms. It is written this. It's interesting that Jesus's answer for every temptation he had was somewhere in the scriptures. In fact, it was all in the book of Deuteronomy. Isn't that interesting? That's how Jesus dealt with temptation. And I think that's the point that God is trying to get at here. My commandment is supreme. Regardless of what they do, remove the razzle dazzle out of the whole situation. What has my word said? And how does my word compare with what their word is telling you to do? Everybody, see that? That's really what all, and like I said, you know, uh, this morning. That's what all decision-making in the Christian life boils down to. What has God already said? If it doesn't answer it in detail, it answers it in principle. I guarantee you. Yes?
1: So this this miracle that the dreamer of dreams, it, will, it not necessarily God did it, but a demon, because they have power, right? Mm-hmm. They have power
0: to do miracles. Demons have all kinds of powers. Well, I mean, so they're they able to attempted- indwell people.
1: That's how they would have attracted worshipers in the first place. Yeah. You're not just going to worship a yeah. carved rock because it's a carved rock. In, in
0: Acts, the seven sons of Sceva try to come against a guy that's got a demon. I mean, he ends up stripping them naked, paddling them like a redheaded stepchild, and sending them running out of the house. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. And I'll say that to infringe upon any redheaded stepchildren. You know, it's just a common phrase we use in Kentucky. but. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, he, he he deals with them, you know. And, that, and, and he had supernatural power at that time. Why? Possessed by a demon. The guy who, uh, um, oh gosh, where is it? The the, the guy uh, who was later cast by Jesus into the uh, legion was cast into the pigs. Uh, where he was? Genisarus. No, no. I can't remember. The, the gar, gar, Garazines, something like that. It starts with a G. But anyway, when they came along, we've tried to bind him up in chains, but every time, he breaks the chains. When's the last time you broke a chain? You see what I'm saying? But when you've got a demon that's possessing you, and demon that kind of stuff, it's amazing to see what happens. So do they have power? Yes. Now here's the question, I know we got to wrap up because we're, we're done. Here's the question. Why do we not see a heavy volume of demonic supernatural activity like that going on here? Let's pray. God, thank you for our time together so we can ponder about wonderful things in your word, things that warn us, Lord, things that make us focus upon the fact of what you have said and that we hold fast to your truth. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.